Sunday night on the Ringer Dish podcast, we're premiering a brand new podcast. It's called Every Single Album. It's going to be running twice a week on Ringer Dish over these next five weeks. Nathan Hubbard, Nora Princiati, breaking down every single Taylor Swift album as we head toward the re-release. Nathan's coming up in one second to talk about it. Subscribe to the Ringer Dish right now. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident, and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash in every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card member. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Hey, R2C2, CC Sabathia, Ryan Rucco, they had Glaber Torres on the podcast. Um, that must mean it's baseball season when when uh, Yankees start popping up on R2C2 because it looks like they had Brett Gardner as well this week. I They have to stop. They, enough with the Yankees. I, I don't know what we're doing. Maybe working a Boston player like, I don't know, for every three Yankees. I, I have to talk to CC about that. Uh, but check out R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco. Coming up. Going to talk to Joe House about the NBA MVP odds and the favorite, Joel Embiid, at the halfway point, as well as what's happening with Tiger Woods. We're bringing in his fairway rolling host, co-host Nathan Hubbard to talk about that. Then Nathan's going to tell us about his new podcast about Taylor Swift on the Ringer Dish podcast network that launches Sunday night. And then Eddie Wong has a movie coming out, Boogie, sports movie. And uh, he hasn't been on in, in, I think, like two years. So... Had him on as well. This is an action-packed two hours. A lot going on. What do I have for you? I have basketball. I have golf. I have music. And I have movies and some food. And then Eddie talks about the Knicks at the end. I can't do better than this. First Pearl Jam. All right, taping this a little after four o'clock on Thursday. Joe House is here. There are some NBA games tonight, and then we head into a quick all-star break, and it seemed like a nice time to look at the MVP race as we hit the halfway point. The reason House is on, other than we haven't seen him in a while and we love talking basketball with him, House has somehow managed to bet on every single MVP candidate. I don't know how you did it, House. I, I think you lose the money no matter who wins, but you could say you had the winner. Congratulations. No, that's not true. Um, I have a question for you before we get going. Yeah. What do you think the over under on vodka soda lemonades that I had this afternoon was? 
Wait a second. This is Drunk House? Nah, Drunk House not, is here? I'm not. A, it's Buzz House. I'm not Buzz House. Way, because I had to drive myself home, but it is getting warm here out on the East Coast. Yeah. And, you know, golf season, you can officially start entering scores on March the 15th. So I'm revving up. Mm. And I was out on the golf course. If I, you know, from out with, with a couple of buddies, got to have a drink. I loved so. how you you told me you had to start late because you had some work stuff, and you did have some work stuff. It was just on a golf course with it, some vodka tonics. It really was work. I hosted some lawyer guys that I need some business out of. I mean, yeah. that that's, right. that's right, how fair. we do the business, brother. All right, so let's let's go backwards. Who don't you have for MVP? All right, let's just go through it. You have Embiid. I have Embiid. You have LeBron. I have LeBron. Do you have Luca? I do not have Luca. I'm out you, on Luca. I was you, out. I didn't like the price at the beginning of this season. I don't like the price now. I, I, you know, maybe you have to twist my arm. If they reel off, you know, if they go 18 of over the next 20 games, if they go on a crazy winning streak. Maybe I'll countenance it, but I'm I'm not on Luca right now. Jokic, yes, you have some Jokic, right? I have a, t uh, a, t a taste. I don't think I. I don't think I have any Jokic. Honestly, I don't think do you I have Dame or Dame or Curry. No, neither one you, of those. You do have Durant, who is out of Durant. the Durant. I bet Durant twice. Uh, uh, once before the season started, and then once in the first two weeks of the season, just because the price was great before the season started, and then he came out and started playing great, and I felt like, oh, I should just go ahead and... And that neither one of those bets were big bets. Uh, it was just the odds were in the 12 to 14 to 1 range. So go ahead and grab him. And you have LeBron, who we mentioned. Here are the odds right now. I have Anthony MVP. Davis. That's the other one that I have. <laughs> I forgot. But we had a whole was, Anthony Davis case about that how. That was before the season. That was yeah. a, like a LeBron hedge, just to put that in place. Because one of those two guys is in the going to be in the conversation. We talked this through before the season started. I we don't did. regret doing a little Anthony Davis. Here's where we stand now. Odds courtesy of FanDuel. Joel Embiid is our favorite at plus 210. LeBron trails him at plus 260, Jokic plus 420, Curry 12 to 1, Giannis 18 to 1, James Harden mm. 18 to 1, Luka Doncic 18 to 1, Dame and Kawhi are both 21 to 1. And the only other mildly interesting one is Donovan Mitchell at 65 to 1, but the Jazz went a little tailspin the last week. Um, all right, House, uh, here we go. I have a I'm question for you before you get started, though. Yeah. I want to know, is there any Phoenix player on that list? I'm interested in, I want one Phoenix player. Devin Booker, 85 to one. Okay. So that's worth $50. No, I'll it's really not. Please don't do that. Just set the $50 on fire. Devin Booker's if, now, he didn't make the all-star team. What if Phoenix no. ends up with the best record in the West? No, they're not, that's not happening one. either. Stop. All no. right. Why um, isn't that happening? It's not, they're not, a Phoenix Sun is not winning the MVP. Booker would have to score 35 a game the second half of the year. Here's who's going to win the MVP if he stays healthy. Joel Embiid. Okay. He, uh, once again, on a huge stage, a really fun league pass battle on Wednesday night, Utah and Philly, he hit a game tying three. That was a high degree of difficulty game tying three. He was awesome. What did he end up with? Like 40 plus points, 19 40 rebounds. 40 and 19. 40 and yeah. 19. So for the season, he's 30, 12, three assists, 30 and 12, basically 52, 42, 86 shooting splits, like kind of closer to the 50, 40, 90 club than I was prepared for, uh, 11.6 free throw attempts a game, 
he's he's averaging only three three uh, three point field goals, which I know that was an issue for you. So he's kept that down. It only takes three a game. Thirty one point two per. I'm gonna tell you this house. Here's the complete list of centers. NBA history who have gone for 29 and 12 and shot 10 plus free throw attempts in a game. Will Chamberlain seven times. Shaq twice. Moses Malone once. That's our entire list of centers who have done this, which leads me to my big point. This is like a vintage Shaq season now for Embiid. Statistically, um, impact-wise, he's having these overpowering nights like that night against Chicago where he just completely destroyed them. The difference between him and Shaq is that you can actually go to him in the last two minutes of a game. He can actually create a shot, get to the free throw line. He's a good free throw, free throw shooter. Or in the case like with Utah last night, they're down three with 10 seconds. Like he dribbles out three-point line, double pumps, and makes a three with a hand in his face, which raises the point. Who's a better person to shoot an end of the game down three, three than Embiid? Because seven foot three, you can't block it. You might foul him. I've seen everything I've needed to see so far from him. The only thing would be the games. He's played 30 out of 36. But other than that, to me, he is hands down the MVP. It's not an argument. So you and I are in violent agreement, but I want to have one quick uh, quibble, one quick, quick point of uh, disagreement, which is... We, let, let's not use Joel Embiid's name in the same breath as Shaq. Let's not do that yet. Like, yet. I'm saying yet. Okay. Okay. So, so here's the case why we can't do that because Shaq for three straight playoffs annihilated everybody, won three straight finals MVPs. And when the real money was on the line, took it to another level and became like a 35 and 15 type guy. We have no idea if Embiid can do that yet. I'm saying regular season Embiid has reached regular season Shaq potential. We have 30 games, finally, 30 games of, of, of the potential of Joel Embiid. Like a really great run. We finally scratched the surface of what this dude can be about. We've been begging for it. You, me, Rosillo, everybody across the whole ringer board. Every Philly fan. Every Philly fan. We've been begging for it. For Christ's sakes, get this guy the ball in places where he can do some work. Don't let him settle for the easy, lazy shot. Let's get to the free throw line. And by God, that's the thing. That's the stat to me that is the most compelling, the real thing that distinguishes him, the real thing that that puts him in position as the front runner of the MVP. It's getting to the free throw line the way a guy with his tools and his advantages should. It's what we've been begging for, and he's doing it, and it's great to see, and and I love it. He's played 30 games. He's been to the free throw line 348 times. Awesome. And Shaq has some, Shaq was like 10, around 10 and up free throw attempts every year, and then he spiked because Hack of Shaq started, and he was in the 13-14 range. The difference between him and Shaq is he's a much better uh, free throw shooter. Good you're free throw you're talking, shooter. He's in the mid eighties. Shaq was in the mid fifties. So yes. when you foul him, especially at the end of games, and it's a little like Zion's not as good of a free throw shooter, but same thing. Cause Zion at the end of these games is figuring out, just throw my body, be athletic, throw my body into people. I'll get a call. And beats getting these calls. He's actually getting superstar respect. It feels like And Utah had a little hissy fit on Wednesday night about it. <laughs> they, and it happened against the Celtics earlier in the year too, where he's getting like touch foul calls 
And he's seven foot three. And it's like, all right, if you're going to call him that way, let's just hand in the title. They're not going to be able to guard him. But the, I, I don't really have any argument with that. I mean, that is the, the big guy prerogative. This is like, you know, he has a skill set that distinguishes him from everybody else. When he asserts his will, when he's down in that low post, he's getting hit. There's no question that he's getting hit. Shaq had this prerogative. Shaq, they could have called, you know, uh, another 25% of, of the times that Shaq was in the low post. He definitely got fouled and they didn't call it. So, yep. you know, this is, and in the era that we are in, where you know it's it's uh uh spread five and 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 motion kind of offense seeing a giant guy with the ball in the low post or near the basket it sets it up as an easy call for the refs and this you know there's been a lot of complaining about the refs um through this first portion of the season all deserved like, yeah sure but like Embiid makes it easy he gets the ball and he gets hit and he's down low. That's not a hard, you know, foul call to make. The, the refs don't have a hard uh, decision there. It's not a giant judgment call. And the Sixers do outpace their opponents night in and night out and get into the free throw line. That's a good strategy. Doc is a good coach. Daryl Morey is a good GM. They're smart and he's doing the right thing. Well, he has more spacing too. I really like their crunch time five and sometimes it'll change. Sometimes thigh ball being there, but when it's it's Curry and Simmons and Embiid and Tobias Harris, who's been really terrific this year. And then they either put a shooter in the fifth spot or they'll play Thibault if they really need offense. But just having Curry out there, sometimes Shake Milton too, if, he, if he's feeling it, whatever. But um, it just seems like Embiid has more space. And look, we don't have to pile on Brett Brown for seven hours, but the reality is Embiid last year, yeah. In that in the bubble in that Celtics playoff series for the amount of talent he has, it was an embarrassment. And he was in for what his talent was, it it was a bummer that it felt like we left last season going, he might not get there. He has the talent, but he can't seem to figure out, get in shape, get to the free throw line, stop dallying 25 feet for the basket, overpower people. I feel like he's overpowering people and and comparing him at least to regular season Shaq. Look, they had to literally change rules for Shaq. I don't think Embiid is at that point. They they changed basketball rules to try to make it easier for teams to defend Shaq. They, we're not at that point yet, right? No, um, and, and we got 30 games out of Embiid. But I, but, I but deliberately... That, but there's the, the overpowering piece. Yes. Reminds me of Shaq. And to be honest, for wasn't, sure. wasn't sure I was going to see it again with the center in our lifetime. It felt thank, like thank Shaq God. took this. It felt like Shaq took the center position with him when he kind of faded into whatever he became in Phoenix and Cleveland. And it was just never going to be that position again. Well, this is what's going to be fascinating about the career trajectory of Giannis of the freak. What if the freak decides that the most efficient way for him to be an incredible basketball player, he's already incredible, but what if he wants to get to the free throw line 14 or 15 times a game and be and around works? the basket? Yes, exactly right. That's a fascinating thing for us to keep an eye on as his career develops. But I do have a quick question for you. Do you have yeah. any appetite for some Utah slander tonight? You have any, any, any interest or desire in any Utah slander? No, I, I think they are what they are. I think every year there's a rabbit team and we get excited about them, but you saw it in that Philly Utah game. 
there's a lot of times in, in these last three, four minutes where they're just not going to have the best player in the court. And, you know, there's 10 teams that they could play where they're just not going to have the best guy in the game. So I don't I, I, that's make, a hard one to overcome. I don't want to make um, jazz fans mad at me, but wow, don't, please don't. They're vicious. <laughs> they're, they're like those little dogs that just, it's like, oh, no, 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 don't pet the dog. Don't pet the dog. He's really friendly, but just don't pet them. I mean, the Gobert defensive player of the year thing. Like everybody in social media, amongst our friend crew, everybody in the sporting public is like, look what MB just did to the defensive player of the year. Yeah. I'm, I'm just over it. Like, can we can we just stop with Gobert as the defensive player of the year? Like the guy, For me, it's Ben Simmons. I, I think he's done the most interesting stuff night to night on the defensive I, I understand the analytics and the support for Gobert year over year, the impact right. that he has in the regular season. I just can't get my mind around the idea of a guy who gets a league award, defensive player, the best defensive player in the entire league, and he can't play against certain teams. He flat out can't play against the Houston Rockets in the previous iterations. Yeah, and 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 Utah has and Phoenix has, has made or made not it Phoenix to the, the Clippers did that. Yeah, too. they made basically it to the played second round twice in the last handful of years. Like, I just it's just a tough one. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Simmons is my defensive player of the year so far. Well, did you see what he did against Mitchell last night? I mean, I, I was very aware of it. You mean when Donovan Mitchell went twelve for thirty-four <laughs> and took horrible shots down the stretch because he had a six foot ten maniac guarding him? That's yeah, right. So the Embiid thing. I think it's such a thrilling development. And, you know, it's been this weird season, all these COVID things. We had two huge trades. Um, it's There's been a lot to keep track of. But Embiid blossoming into this dude when, you know, we sit on these podcasts or in these studio shows and we talk about, ah, oh, if this guy only did this, if this guy only did that. This is the guy, I remember going to that workout in LA in 2014 for the draft. And coming out of it going, this guy has to be the first pick for, I can't believe what I just saw. This guy's an incredible athlete. He could shoot threes. His footwork was amazing. He had awesome hands. Like, how is this guy not the number one pick? And then he got hurt. Um, and then it seemed like the rub with him was always going to be, can't stay on the court. Or if he does stay on the court, doesn't seem to get the whole concept of, I need to be able to play all four quarters. I just feel like he gets it. And then there's this wow factor with him in some of these games where you're just like, wow, that three he hit last night against yes. Utah. That was like, wow. I can't think of a single center in the history of the league who hits that shot uh, in the history of the league. I mean, come on, but who, I mean, well, what Hakeem? do you, maybe what do, Hakeem? We, what do we call it? Dirk? The whiskey was never a center. He was a power forward. So. Yeah, he's a power forward. I'm All saying right. a guy, a seven foot three guy dribbling backwards. No, he needs to get off a three. Two guys draped all over him, and it was fucking money. It was awesome. I it mean, was that's, awesome. That's it. That's what you want in your on your uh, MVP resume is a wow moment, a wow shot. He gave it to us right at the midpoint of the season, set us up perfectly for this conversation. Well, he's so, done it a few times because there was yeah. a Boston game. He ripped them apart. Yeah. That Bulls game on a Friday night on ESPN. He's had a couple like big spotlight games. Yes. Well, I just, I you know. It's exactly what we want. And, you know, I'm knocking on wood loudly. Stay healthy. Get If he gets to what's what's the minimum number of games that we feel comfortable with him getting to to give him the MVP? Great question. Uh, 72 game season may, yeah. might be 71 in a couple cases. Who knows? And 
So this is the Harden question, right? Harden's only played 23 games. His stats are great. He's switched teams. He's played 23 and 37 games. I think you have to be in the high 50s to realistically be considered. High 50s. That's, that's, that's pretty generous. Harden can't win it because you can't do what he did to Houston and win the MVP. But, uh, well, he, he it's 50s. all fine. He came back yesterday. He waved at everybody. So everybody, oh, it's all, all is great. forgiven. Great. Great. They're going to put his, 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 uh, his Jersey in the Raptors and it should have a knife in the back. Shaq's best season or Shaq's MVP season, 2000, he was 30 and 14, 57%, uh, field goal, 54% free throw. 3.0 blocks a game. We we didn't even mention Embiid's defense. I mean, he's one of the four or five most important defensive he's on players the list. we have, too. Finally. And somehow we, we talked about it for 15 minutes, didn't mention that. Shaq got to the line, 10.4 free throw attempts a game that year, 30.6 PR, Embiid's 31.2 PR. My point is, look, they're, they're different players and they're playing in different eras, but the stats are similar and the impact feels similar. And I'm really psyched. I'm psyched for the Philly fans. I have a lot of Philly fans in my life that I have a love-hate relationship. But uh, this was this frustrating guy that you you felt like he had been handed the keys to the kingdom and he didn't totally take care of it. And he had some bad luck too. Now it seems like he's taking care of it. So we'll see where it goes. I have a question for you. Well, can you wait till we're going to take a break and then ask me the question? Great. All right, we're back. What's your question? Are you 100% comfortable at this stage, halfway through the season, with basically dismissing Giannis? We, we mentioned no, a bunch of I, other names. We I, haven't talked have, about the freak. I want to get to that right now. I think there's, oh, three, there's three and a half other people who can win the MVP. Okay. One is Jokic, 27, 11, and 9. He's a borderline... I mean, fuck, 57% shooting, 42% from three, 89% free throw. He's a borderline 50, 40, 90 guy. So he's basically My, Dirk Larry level. How many games can Denver win? How many games does Denver have to win to take him seriously? That's the so, thing that's giving me trouble. Denver's a seven seed. They're 20 and 15. And we met, I forgot to mention earlier with Embiid, he's, they're the one seed in the East. He's, they're 24 and 12. He's the biggest yes. reason why. Yes, and that's, that's right. why he's the MVP candidate. No brainer. Denver, the, the thing with Jokic, it's not going to happen if they're not one of the top four seeds. It's conceivable they could be. But um, his, uh, he's got a 32.1 PR. And again, flawed, flawed metric. I still like it. And when you look at the league leaders of all time in PR, it's all the best players in the history of basketball. So to be over 31 on top of all the other stuff, he's almost averaging a triple double and he's been betrayed by his team. They have no bench. They lost Grant and Beasley from last year's group. They traded Beasley before the bubble, but two guys that could come in and, uh, you know, off the bench and do some stuff. Their bench feels really weak. The Porter thing seems to go up and down Murray. I know he's had, you know, a couple issues. Um, and look, it's a weird season. They played right up until the bitter end of the bubble last year. All of a sudden, they're playing again. But Murray's been disappointing for where we thought he was going to be. And it does feel like Jokic is kind of carrying them to a 20 and 15. Yeah, they're they're right now on pace in a normal 82-game season for around 47 wins. 46 Which is not, that's not doing it. Yeah, that I mean, the only guy in recent memory that did that was Russell Westbrook. 
46 wins for Oklahoma City in the year the that he dar- averaged The darkest double. moment in the, recent MVP history. You know how I feel about it. So then Giannis, who everyone has decided we can't vote for him, he can't win three in a row, we're just not going to let it happen. He's still averaging 29 and 12 with six assists, shooting 56%. He's getting the free throw line 10.4 times, 29.1 PER. And his team right now is the three seed. They're 21 and 14. He's heated up the last two weeks and there's a world in which he just gets hot for three weeks. All of a sudden there are one seed and we're like, wait a second, what are we going to do here? Well, in their last 17 games, he's over 31 points. He's 12 and a half rebounds. He's over six assists. He's almost one and a half steals and he's almost two blocks. That's fucking insane. Those are MVP MVP numbers. And he did, you know, basically drag Milwaukee up to the to 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 the three seed because yes. they were they were you know the 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 holiday injury really messed with them they really were were not now they're five and five over their last ten games but but they need him to be superhuman to drag them up into that top tier where they honestly belong I mean they still differential wise they're the top team in the East at six point you know plus six point four. Well, that, Dif- that plus they're averaging 119 a game. They're yeah. the highest scoring team in the league. Yeah. He's eight, again, he's 18 to one to win the MVP. Mm. And I think he's either. I might, I might have to throw something at that. Well, he's either second or third right now. And he can't, we're going to get to the LeBron media mafia in a win, second. Though, I'm it, just saying, if we're just looking at this objectively, when you throw in his defense yeah, and everything I, he does, he is I'm the second there. best player in the league right now. I agree with you. And I have Jokic third and then LeBron's fourth. And the irony with the LeBron season, um, he's 26, eight and eight, which is right around where he always is. Statistically with the advanced metric stuff, it's kind of his weakest advanced metric season that he's had really since his rookie year. His PR is only 24.4, but just in general, like shooting 51%, 36% from three, 69% free throw, um, not getting the line even six times a game. He's taken almost seven threes. And the the case for him is the durability. He's played 36 to 37. They finally rested him the other day. And, you know, he could reclaim at least the number two spot in a week if he had three straight good games. My question is, why? 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 He All he cares about is titles. He's got to get to the Jordan six. Why would he care about these last 36 games? Well, he, he, he cares because... No, but I mean, like, care enough to make, like, a, a real MVP run and to actually put the work in to try to win the MVP. Isn't the answer to that question the body of evidence of the previous 35 games? Why is he playing all those minutes in the first half of this stupid season? He, I don't he know. Play, he just played in the finals. To The only obvious answer to me, and I don't know if it's obvious, but is he has designs on this MVP award. Like it doesn't otherwise make sense for him to put on this additional mileage. We've been talking forever and God, this is the thing that makes him so gosh, darn incredible is that durability, the endurance, his, his his able to bring, he's just, I mean, so it would be in a season where there are a lot of different um, candidates. If the Lakers re reascend to the top of the West, Whenever, Which they could easily. And they could. And Davis comes back. Then it's like, you know, it's a split vote kind of situation. And you give it to the OG because the OG averaged 35 or 36 minutes across 65 of the 72 games or whatever it is. 
and you know the Lakers have the best record in the in the NBA or or what you know close to it, and you just say all hail the king. That that's the argument, right? Well, the issue for him is it's not a split vote season. It's okay. Embiid has taken control. So he for the path for him to win the MVP is Embiid doesn't ends up playing 55 of 72 games. Like just doesn't have enough games. The Lakers do better second half. LeBron stays healthy. LeBron plays 70 of 72 games. Right now the league leaders in minutes, Randall at 13-16, Jokic 12-56, Van Vliet 12-49 and LeBron is fourth at 12-45. I think that's insane. That's I, I honestly don't know what they're doing. But I think I think he really wanted to win the MVP, which is why he was doing this, but at some point the ring has to matter more than him playing all these minutes. I he feel he like shouldn't play 2,500 minutes. I don't disagree with you, but what if he can do both? He keeps on keeping on. The thing that has hurt is Davis went out and they went on a, in, into a mini tailspin and they don't, right. they, 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 they didn't look good in, in those games. I mean, the, I watched the entirety of that um, Wizards Lakers game where the Wizards uh, beat the, the Lakers in overtime. And th- I'm this, sorry. It was reminiscent of the Lakers of like 18 to 24 months ago, where they don't have any uh, offensive firepower. They just can't score uh, unless he goes out and, and, and creates it. And that, that was lackluster. It's tough. I mean, Davis is, I know, like the seventh best player in the league, the eighth sure. best player in the league. So, yeah. But I mean, we're going to give the, the MVP to a guy who can't, they, they lost four, four in a row or whatever it was. We're not. The, the best thing he has going for him is the LeBron media mafia will come out probably with about 15, 16 games left. And there will be a whole campaign about he's the best player every year. He deserves this. We've got to make up for past sins. Russell and I broke this down. There, there are no past sins. The only so one you cynical. can really, no, the only one you can really complain about is the 2011 one, his first year in Miami that he might've, that one might've gotten, a, that might've been a robbery. It was 10 years ago. Okay. None of the other ones were robberies and the way Embiid is playing, he's going to win. And honestly, Giannis is having a better season than LeBron. We may not want to admit that we may not want to like it, but it's a fact. I'm sorry. Um, it doesn't mean he's a better basketball player. It means he's having a slightly better regular season than LeBron James's period. Different things that we're talking about. Entirely different so, cases to make. So that's your, those are your four. It's Embiid and then it's a Jokic, Giannis, LeBron kind of lurking underneath. But what's interesting is the odds do not reflect that. Embiid's plus 210. LeBron is plus 260 because they're already factoring in the, the mafia. N- Nikola Jokic plus 420 and then Giannis is 18 to 1. And the Giannis thing that honestly, those odds are ridiculous. They should be lower. Yeah. So then we go to the next group. I think the sleeper would be Luca, who's averaging 29, 8, 9. Um, he's got his threes up to 36%. That team's starting to win. Um, and he just, every year coming out of the All-Star break, somebody averages like 35. Like last year was Bradley Beal, your guy. Yeah. Somebody all of a sudden um, puts up 35.3 points a game and just goes nuts. I would say he's the most logical candidate to do that. So let's mark him down. Kawhi at having a really good Kawhi season, 27, six and five. Honestly, his stats really aren't any different than LeBron's. Um, And he's a better defensive player. But just if the Clippers, if there's a path for them 
Right now they're a four seed, but they're only uh, two games out of the two spot. But I just wanted to mention him. You have Dame and Curry, who I almost feel like cancel each other out. Yeah. But they're basically having the exact same season. I think Dame's done it with a little less help. And then let's, the Harden thing, he's missed 14. If he played every game the rest of the way and averaged a triple-double and Brooklyn won the East, We'd at least have to have the conversation, which would end with both of us going, no, no, fuck that guy. We're not voting for him. <laughs> you can have that not conversation with somebody else, not with me. I'm out. I'm out right now, and I'm not changing my mind. So that's it, House. Those are those are our candidates. I My advice, and I'm not allowed to bet on this, but um, I think Embiid still being a plus favorite yeah. so that's as where a plus 210 seems stupid to me. He should be like minus 180. I got him early in the season at 20 to one odds. Wow. I, I just got, I didn't go crazy on it, but now I'm going to go crazy on it. I'm going to throw a giant number on top of that 20 to one thing. Cause I went big on LeBron when LeBron was still plus numbers two weeks ago. So you uh, have, you say you'd have the top two cover. That's it. I mean, and I'm not going to bet on something's good. Dramatic will have to happen with Denver to get me to touch um, Jokic. I'm not messing with uh, Luca. Uh, or, or Dallas. I mean, I, they, they're just... You sure you don't want to d- consider the Giannis 18-1? to Because the path yeah, yeah, to that would be I Holiday do. comes back and, and all of a sudden Milwaukee wins 15 straight. But the, the, will the voting public... This is a question to you. You're in the voting public. Will the voting public get around the idea of three straight Giannis years? Because the thing that holds him back, and this is absurd, and I know that this drives the analytics folks absolutely insane is we are factoring in what we've seen, what our eyes have seen of the Greek freak in the playoffs and Milwaukee in the playoffs, even though it's not a playoff award, but when do we see the leap out of Milwaukee in the playoffs that convinces us that we're not being dumbasses by putting, making three straight MVP awards for a team that can't get to the finals. I'm going to make three predictions for the rest of the way here because MVP conversations are like podcast catnip. Prediction number (laughs) one, Milwaukee will have a winning streak followed by everyone having a reckoning about whether it would be okay to vote Giannis for a third straight year. And most people decided, no, I can't do it. Followed by a round of vote shaming, voter shaming from the people who are like, hey, the resume is the resume. Last year doesn't matter. It's who had the bet. And there will be some Giannis voter shaming. I predict that. Um, You know we'll be hearing from the LeBron media mafia. I I can't wait to find out what they have in store for them. (laughs) It'll probably start with a really long feature for somebody about how LeBron has given more to this season than any in the history of his career. In the minutes. when do we and, get to name names? When and, is, I need to be drunk so we can doc, we can start naming names about yeah, your drunk house made to name some names <laughs> and how how he can't believe he hasn't won the MVP for eight years <laughs> when he's been the league's signature player and yeah. it makes you wonder and he'll and he'll have a couple quotes. I can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. That's prediction number two. Prediction number three will be: I think James Harden is going to continue to be absolutely awesome for Brooklyn. And at some point, we're going to have to have a reckoning with that. And that will be another three-day conversation where we have to go, wait a second, can a guy who took a shit and forced his way out of a city to get to a better situation, can we then give that person the MVP for what he did for the team that he forced himself to? My answer is no. 
won't that resolve itself when KD comes back? I, I've been believing that KD could have played any one of these last, honestly, like four games. They're, they've been deliberate and measured in keeping him out because, like, who cares whether or not they they win any of these last four games? They've been on a great roll. The chemistry yep. between Harden and Kyrie is really coming together. It who would have thought? This, I, who would have thought those two guys would play well together? I, I got to say, I'm shocked by that. Well, but, but look, Harden and Chris Paul played great together for a little while, also. It, it, yeah, it, they it, were un, they were unhappy though. Like Chris yeah, Paul was never happy with it. Ultimately, they were, but for a while there was a good symbiosis that did work, and it the KD not playing lets all these role guys come to the fore. The Bruce Brown thing is fucking incredible for Brooklyn, and that's a, a, I, he a was function. my tenth candidate. I forgot to mention Bruce Brown. <laughs> Can Bruce look, Brown, are Bruce Brown's odds on this? Durant Is he the not, best role player of all time? KD not playing means there are more minutes to spread around, and that's very helpful for Brooklyn, their their ambition. So whenever KD comes back, it will, I think, diminish Harden's case, and we won't have to be talking about Harden for MVP. I don't I think any, right. of, any of the Nets are going to be candidates for the MVP, even though they might end up with the best record in the whole NBA. KD, Harden, Kyrie, Joe Harris, and Bruce Brown might be the greatest five of all time. <laughs> I love it when you do that shit. Bruce Brown. Yeah. Bruce Brown is my favorite new player of, or like my new guy who's, he's not new, obviously, but new Wait. guy who's now in the mix. You put him ahead of Pritchard? Your boy Pritchard up there in Boston? You, ha you have just, Bruce Brown ahead? It's like when they had the best newcomer award and like the MTV movie awards. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the best newcomer in the AVN awards. That's or I, either I that, maybe for the AVN yeah. awards as well. Yeah. Bruce yeah. Brown. It's like, yeah, he made a couple movies before this year, but what an emergence by Bruce Brown. <laughs> Who knew he had that magic cock? <laughs> Bruce Brown. He plays. He plays like they're telling him, "If you guys don't win this game, we're murdering your family after the game." So you it's up what? to you. You can decide whether we murder your family or not. He's That's like, like the, the level of intensity. He's like the Los Antente Kawupo brother. All those, all those <laughs> Antente Kawupos play like, like their life depends on it. It's awesome. I love it. I love Bruce Brown. All right. So he's number 10. All right. We are going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to bring House's fairway rolling partner, Nathan Hubbard, on to talk about Tiger really quick. All right, House's Fairway Rolling co-host Nathan Hubbard is here, who has a new podcast that we're debuting on the uh, Ringer on Sunday, which we'll get to in a second. But wanted to talk about Tiger quickly before we let Buzzed House go. Uh, Tiger, Nathan, does he ever play golf at a high competitive level ever again? From what you've read, what you've seen. First of all, please let me know when House is drunk so that I can show up in the same state next time. Uh, no, he doesn't. And that's okay. But he doesn't. It's over. And we've been talking about this for probably six months on the pod, that it's time to pull the needle. The Tiger Woods needle has got to come out of the arm. And we have to figure out if golf is good enough to exist as a sport without a hero. House? I disagree with Nate. Um, I think there is some percentage possibility. It might be single digits. It might be like, you know, in the 20% range. But I think there is some possibility that he, because of, of his DNA, the competitive DNA, the way that that guy is wired, he just says, you know what? Another thing in front of me where people say, I can't do this thing. Fuck that. 
watch me. Uh, and and maybe it's the case, like it's still pretty early in the information around how injured his leg was, what the timeline might be for coming back from that kind of injury. What if he says, Jack Nicholas won the Masters when he was 46 years old. That gives me a full calendar year. He's 45 right now. He has a full calendar year to rehab himself, to get himself. That whole year will be good for his back. And if the leg is not as jacked up as it seems, then that's another competitive challenge for a guy driven in a way, unparalleled banner in all of professional golf to come out and compete in the Masters at age 46. The only thing that would hold it back to me is him like, confronting something having to do with the leg that's like a, a big time like Alex Smith kind of thing and he says fuck it I just want to spend time with my kids well he's got the shaft of three of his irons in his leg at this point keeping it together like there's no chance that's, he's going to be anything other Alex than a Smith masters honorary starter I know Alec, and, and we just let football. him go we just let him go he played yeah, football he, because look at our alternatives no but that's not the point the point is he worked yeah. himself all the way back he was on a football field and 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 had Aaron Donald on his back in the I first know. three games but he's not well, 45 years old that's yeah no, on a scale right. of one to Alex Smith how bad was the leg injury because he didn't have any of the staph infection stuff I, that I, Alex so Smith far had. it doesn't seem like I don't know this is the thing we're only two weeks into this injury no one week a week and a half into the injury I don't I don't have any any great inside information. Nate, what do you think? The, the ankle is shattered and the multiple bones were sticking out of his leg. I think it was worse. He won't have to deal with the infection, hopefully, but I think the core piece of the injury is, is worse. But let's not forget, I, we talked about this house. I saw him at the Riv on the Saturday before the Tuesday accident and he could barely walk. He went on TV on Sunday with Nance and it just was as puffy as he possibly could have been and basically told us his back is barely healed. You know what doesn't survive a multiple rollover car accident particularly well is a is a just surgically repaired back. We haven't yeah, even talked tough. about his back. Well, he's had five surgeries on the back. And that's the thing for me. This is why I, I hope he comes back. And if anybody can leverage all of the medical science we could ever yes. possibly devote to something like this and all the best people it would be him. But we were talking, I went on your pod before this accident and we were saying basically like the ship probably has sailed with him because physically the masters that he won seems to have become more and more amazing as yes. the years pass because physically, how did he do it? How did this guy who had been operated on so many times and had a fucked up knee and all these things, how did his body come together for that, you know, little stretch there that allowed him to win it? And all of us thought, his body probably will never be able to get back to that point. Now you throw in the car accident, the leg stuff. I guess it's house. It's better that it was his right leg than his left leg though, right? Yes. And, and the point you just made to me is exactly the point, right? If you're going to try and have a glass half full point of view on this, it is, can he grab a four to six month window where his body works? Like that's really what we had when he won the 2019 masters, he had a window of about six months where his body did not betray him. He was yeah. able to, you know, uh, uh, play pretty consistent competitive golf. The events leading up to that, it wasn't like he arrived at the masters as the odds on favorite because he was burning the courses down. He was kind of middling, 
but it was clear looking back that he was protecting himself physically. So if we'll, we'll have a better feel for this at the end of this summer and into the Ryder cup, when we, when, when we get some indication of how his leg, his right leg is responding. And then, you know, obviously all of the stuff that we've said in, in the, these, these last eight days, thank God he's alive. Yes. Thank God. It seems like he has a chance at, at be at walking that he didn't lose his leg. Yeah, thank, thank God he's alive. Thank God he's not crippled. That's yeah. right. Is that what but I think he stuff. is. I think but he, he is. might House, be. He House, might be. He how was our how was our Michael Jordan experience in uh, on the bullets? <laughs> hey, he scored 50. He did drop 50. Look, m- my problem with all of this is we have to stop pretending it's going to continue. It's bad for the game that we both love. Like the tour has to figure out how to survive without Tiger Woods. I I hope he does come back. But like we have to move on, and well, right now we don't have a hero. We so, agree, we agree, and 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 those are two different ideas. We do have though. a hero. It's Brooks Kepka. That's uh, my it's hero. Not though. He, it's he's, your hero. He's, he's kicking ass again. Brooks yeah. Kepka is out there. Nate, kicking who ass. has a better chance of coming back, Tiger Woods or you bringing back the guys from Creed and going on one more concert tour? <laughs> <laughs> me, <laughs> me bringing back the guys from Creed and going out. <laughs> Can you take me higher? Like, <laughs> I can do it. Can you take me higher? <laughs> I gotta say, if I was if I was the judge listening to your two takes, I might. I think House had a compelling what? point there about if anyone is going to be like, "Oh, I can't come back from this." Watch this. It's probably Tiger. I yes. can't get over the back thing though, because we know five back surgeries that we know about, and then a car accident rollover situation that. As somebody who has a bad back, who has yeah, has been I, as bad as Tiger's back, like my back hurts if I hit the right I, bump on on I the road. I can't get you to play golf for shit. Like there's no way Tiger's gonna be like, yeah, let me go and just be in pain. I think you said it. That Masters moment is gonna mean more than ever. As will and House, you pointed this out when he played the PNC with Charlie in December. That was mm. a, he knew at that point he was getting that surgery, but he went oh, out and did it anyway. Yeah, and that's why I was. Uh, like an emotional weekend for him, I think. I yeah. think that's exactly If that's why. the note he goes out on, I mean, you know, we weren't factoring in a goddamn life-threatening car fucking crash, but he did know he was going to get that that surgery and, you know, a way to hedge um, his, his, his last moment on the competitive golf stage. How about, you know, him going out with a round with this kid? That's pretty great. House, what are the odds of you betting on... Uh, Tony Finau at 27 to one in the masters. Um, I dep- I'm going to go have another vodka after, as soon as I, we hang up here <laughs> and then there's a decent, then we'll see it'll be the third. How about vodka. Jordan speed at 16 to one. You got to like Jordan 16, one, six to one. Oh, I yeah. hate that. I hate How about odds. our guy Brooks at 10 to one. I hate those odds. I don't like them. How they're about not, Victor Hovland at 29 to one. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now, I need guys in like that 30 class. I'm not 16 to one for Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth hasn't done sh- shit since 2017. How about this? Why don't you book everybody's bets on Phil Mickelson at 80 to one? If he doesn't win, you keep the money. <laughs> I think that's the best way to win on the Masters. I'm, I, I'll do that. I'll gladly. But anybody who wants to bet Phil Mickelson, hit DM me on the Twitter. I'll, I'll book every single one of those bets. I'll, how about this? I'll give you, I'll give you a boost. A, 120 to one. The house booster. House booster. Yeah. I 
I know I'm going to bet on Tommy Fleetwood 50 to one. And I already hate myself. Oh, you're, you're a Fleetwood Tommy whore. Just, Tommy just understands me. You're, you're a whore <laughs> And then he hurts Fleetwood. my feelings. And then it's like, Tommy, I thought we were supposed to meet here at 730. What you happened? Get, you get right on your knees for that little guy. <laughs> uh, house, we're going to bid you adieu. Enjoy right. the rest of your day. It was great I'm to glad. see you. It's a good time for me to leave because you guys are going to talk about Taylor Swift and I am not in a condition to talk about her right now. <laughs> see you, buddy. <laughs> see you, <laughs> Okay, see you guys. All right, so... On Sunday night, we're releasing the first episode of a new podcast that we're going to have that's going to be on the Ringer Dish feed. It's about Taylor Swift. The podcast is called Every Single Album. This is season one. And we've been kind of dancing around this. You've come on my podcast talking about Taylor Swift. Nora Princiati has come on and talked about Taylor Swift. And it was a little bit of a showdown with you two. And it could have been a friend of me situation. It could have just been outright enemies. Instead, you join forces and you're going to break down on the ringer dish podcast starting Sunday night, every single Taylor Swift episode, uh, album, starting with the first one going all the way through and then making a little room for the re-release, which is coming out later this month or next month. April 9th, April 9th. So there you go. I set that up correctly, right? You did. It's your fault. You, you don't know this, but Nora was driving to Foxborough, uh, to Gillette listening to your pod when she heard, you and me talk Taylor and that was before she joined the ringer and that convinced her that she absolutely wanted to do it. So you set us up. We built Great. up this little relationship during quarantine. She lived through the Taylor experience as a teenage girl. I'd lived through it as an exec in the music and the tech industries. And we just connected on that level. We have like a 20,000 word text thread over the last year as Taylor mailed in one of the great years as an artist of all time. And so the point of this was to publish the thread because like more than any other artist, each of her albums represents a distinct era, like a portion of her career. And so we're just going to go album by album and track by track and drop in a bunch of music. And uh, we're going to deliver 12 hours of Taylor Swift content to you, Bill. And when you, when you dive into the Taylor Swift vortex, there's, there's a large sizable fan base that is very protective of Taylor we're, Swift. We're we feel aware. like we are equipped to people who really appreciate the Taylor Swift career for all the right reasons, who have put a lot of thought and time into what has made her succeed and what makes her so unique. This is, I don't want to say it's a positive podcast, but it's, it's an appreciative podcast because in your, and you've been saying this on this pod for a while, you feel like she's a one-on-one that nobody in the last 15 years has had a career like this. Yeah, it's a story about a musical artist. It's a story about a pop culture icon and the internet in the 2000s. And it's a case study in business from one of the best entrepreneurs and brand builders of her generation, period. She has run the business of music better. She's really our first star who is native to the internet, right? She's like, she's not to overplay it, but she, she, she used the internet not to just build her brand, but to understand her fan base. Like she's basically Jeff Bezos of the music world, right? She has an obsession with her customer. Her dad called me in 2007 when she was opening for Brad Paisley in amphitheaters and was like, I had no idea who Scott Swift was, but Scott Swift was calling going, my daughter's opening in your amphitheaters and the lines are too long for the bathroom and there aren't enough food options. And the experience of the people on the lawn is too packed together. Like they were thinking holistically about the fan experience when she was 14, 15, 16 years old. 
And she has done that every step of the way. And, you know, we talk about Madonna as being somebody who constantly reinvented herself. Taylor really evolves. And that's the fun part of overlaying the, the musician, the celebrity, and the businesswoman all in one story. It's a little like the LeBron career, right? Where you, you kind of look back and you go, wow, that shouldn't have gone this well. You think like you're basically a child star or child celebrity and there's a huge spotlight on you from a really super early age with some controversy. Like, I guess for for Taylor, like the whole Kanye thing was the equivalent of LeBron and the decision, right? With this thing that happened at kind of a formative time that she just got through and it made her stronger. You would have thought that that would break her. I mean, we look back at, you know, here we are in the heels of the Britney doc in the past couple of weeks. There are very, very few human beings who get out of childhood stardom alive, much less in, you know, decent mental shape. And I think she is such a driven human being in the best way that that drive and sort of vision for what she wanted to be and how to manage her career and how to take all of these songs that she was creating and turn them into first country music songs, but then something bigger kept her through it. And But you're right. I mean, that, that moment at the 2009 VMAs when Kanye grabbed the stage could have broken her. Instead, a few months later, she won Album of the Year, beating, by the way, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, and never forget Dave Matthews Band's Big Whiskey and the Grew Grucks King album, which somehow got nominated for a Grammy. What? Yes, that was nominated for Album of the Year in 2009. <laughs> Sometimes Oof. we get it wrong. The Sasha Fierce album with, by Beyonce had Halo, had single A's. I mean, you look back and you put these albums together and boy, it was a murderous row of albums, but they're, one of these things was not like the other. I think it's crazy that, you know, I think like comedians and movies or pop artists, we've talked about this before. It's usually like a seven, eight year peak and she's on 15, yeah. 16, what, 15 years. It's just, yeah, that part she, doesn't make sense to me. It feels like she's more relevant this year than probably she's ever been. Well, so you edited a piece for me in 2015 where I made the case that Taylor had mailed in 2015 one of the four best years ever submitted by an artist. And we compared it to Elvis Presley in 56, the Beatles in 64, Michael Jackson in 83. But this year, she might have topped it. I mean, she put, if you really look at the last 18 months, she's put out four albums. Lover came out in 2019. Then she dropped Folklore out of nowhere in, it really was the quarantine album. Yeah. Then she then she dropped the Disney Long Pond Lives thing of folklore. And a couple weeks later, she dropped Evermore on top of it and then said, hey, by the way, I'm also re-recording all my stuff. So she really was the artist of, of the lockdown and quarantine and just had a hell of a year. And the re-release thing, so Love Story, which she re-recorded, probably her most famous song or at least one of the top three. Yeah. Um, and it sounded the same, but there was like a maturity to it. So I, I, Zoe Simmons walked me through it. Yeah. She, um, can, she can, she can do it. There was definitely, it was the same song, but in a weird way, it sounded like slightly more polished, I guess. Yeah. Her voice is now a legit powerful instrument. And if you listen to the albums in order, you can feel it go from this nasally high end kind of weak thing, which by the way, I don't know what my voice sounded like at 14, 15, but you know, I hope nobody has tapes of it where they were really 
mixing it and producing the the music to to not disguise it, but to to sort of um, cover for it. But you listen to it as it evolves through these albums, and suddenly, really around the red years, maybe even earlier, she just locks in. And we know behind the scenes she did a bunch of work on it. I mean, there's a story about how uh, Bob Lefsetz, the the music industry sort of gadfly blogger, wrote about you know, accusing her of using autotune. And she was such a, like, she reads everything that's written about her. She called him and argued with him for it, wrote the song Mean about him, which became a huge hit that absolutely eviscerated him. But you know, in that moment, she went to the gym and became an absolutely terrific singer. And these last couple of albums have basically showcased her voice, mm. uh, in addition to the songwriter that she is, and it's just there is such a progression. So now her challenge is going to be, how do I recapture what I felt like at 14 and 15 and 16 when I recorded these albums and not lose that youthful energy? Because she really was just giving voice to a generation of teenage girls who were coming of age at the time of the internet when it was super hard to be a teenage girl. Everything you do wrong is saved online forever. And, you know, stuff that, thank God, we didn't have to deal with. You and I have to deal with it through our daughters, right? But but she uh, she captured that energy in her vocal. And um, the nice thing about it, about this re-record is that we know those songs already. And so they're sort of burned into our minds already in the way that they sounded. But what we get is, in these new versions, a much more mature and interesting voice. And so they mm. seem to settle in. It would be fun if you could do it in sports where LeBron's like, I'm gonna re I'm gonna redo the 2011 season. <laughs> I know. Watch what I have in store for JJ Barea in the low post in the finals. But even these re-records show what an incredible business person she is. If you go right now and search for Love Story on Spotify, one version says Love Story, and the other says Love Story in parentheses, Taylor's version. And they both yeah. pop up together. And if you are a fan, she is re-recording this catalog because she wants her rights back. She wants the rights to her master recordings back. She couldn't get them. They were sold to somebody else, sold again. And she said, the hell with it. I'm going to go re-record this stuff on my own. And now, anytime you're even a remotely casual Taylor fan, if you go into Spotify or wherever you listen to your music and you search Spotify. for one of her songs, Spotify, on and Spotify. You, you search for one of her songs, you're going to see Taylor's version. Every fan's going to click that one. And so what right. she effectively did is took back the rights to her songs without having to spend a dime to buy them. That podcast is launching Sunday night. It is called Every Single Album. It's on the Ringer Dish Feed, where you can also find me and Dave Jacoby re uh, recapping the challenge on Wednesday nights, which has been unbelievable this season, as well as uh, Jam Session and Tea Time, two of the OGs on that feed. So before we go, I have to ask you about... Um, Jay-Z sold title. And no. it was one of those kind of nebulous, it was for stock and cash. And you <laughs> got the feeling it was like a lot of stock and maybe not a lot of cash. Was title a failure? No. Uh, for its expressed purpose, it was. But I mean, any entrepreneur's job out of the gate, no matter what, you know this, you got to land the plane. If you don't have Facebook, you got to land the plane. Sometimes you make your investors a lot of money when you land the plane. It can be a 2x, 3x, 5x money, but you got to land the plane. And what Jay-Z did today was he landed the plane. That said, I do think there's a method to the madness here, which is 
we have all of these artists like the Taylor Swifts, like the Jay-Zs of the world, but also all of the smaller artists that the Spotify's of the world have given birth to who don't have massive fan bases, but because the discovery algorithms are getting so good and you can fingerprint each individual user, I as an artist can actually build up a smaller but sustainable fan base. The problem is that while all the other brands in the world from retail are going direct to consumer to try to get around Amazon and build that direct end relationship with the consumer, the tools for artists to do that today aren't very good. And I think both Jay and Jack understand that. And the it looks to me like the point of this acquisition is to create kind of a Shopify for artists, which is mm. a technology platform or an operating system that lets the artist build direct relationships with consumers. That's what Square has done for all the small businesses and farmers market sellers and, you know, little store shops that use the Square uh, software effectively as their operating system. I think the idea here is to pivot the platform, not make it a competitor to Apple and Spotify. That That's over. It is, can we use technology to build a direct channel between artists and their fans. Do you think he would have been better off never doing title and just having his music on Spotify and Apple with everybody else? I think in this transition that we've gone through from physical to digital that started in the mid-2000s, again, along with the rise of Taylor Swift, we document the way that she handled that through time. She stepped in some holes. She made some really good decisions. I think you have to cut artists a little bit of slack for trying some things. Um, he's going to make money on this thing and he's joining the square board. And it looks to me like he's gotten even more power as a businessman. Uh, you know, I should say he's a business man, um, than, than he ever has. So I, so I, this I is a win question. So him. you're giving this the W for Jay-Z. I, I, for Jay-Z, I give this a W for square. It is TBD. They still have a lot to execute on, but I do think the vision is real. A lot of the you know, coverage of it today was like, well, this is because Jay and Jack hang out on yachts in the Hamptons. I'm sure the conversation started there, but I think there's a purpose to this. Did you do one of your things where you do like 12 straight tweets, in the, like a thread about the thing, or was this original material? The uh, 5 a.m. I did that. You did that? Oh, I oh. didn't even see. Good. That's good. So I... it's reg regurgitated original material. <laughs> 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 no, only 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 a couple tweets on it because you could see the hate coming. And I think there's a bigger picture. Artist businesses are becoming more valuable than ever. There's this intersection of artist, influencer, and entrepreneur that's happening right now. And it's it's going to dramatically transform the music business over the next couple of years. We're going to see more moves like this to try to help artists just go direct to consumer. And that's what's so interesting about the iconic artists like Jay-Z and Taylor. They have the chance to do this and set the bar for everybody who's coming up. Before we go, are, are you excited that we spend our weekends on a soccer field again? It almost seems like Life is normal, except for the masks it's and the inability so, to recognize any other parent. It's going to be really fun. Uh, I'm going to be at two games this weekend. Look, I just hope everybody stays safe. But Where it, are you it, going this weekend? I'm going to Camarillo. Oh, I got a little Temecula. You do? Oh, Temecula, the horse, the horse farm. <laughs> you have fun. You got to step through a ton of horse shit to, get, to go watch your kid play soccer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, we're going to be outside. Uh, golf has fans. Football has fans. Our daughter's soccer should have fans as long as everybody's being safe. 
And There's high school soccer is allegedly coming back. This is amazing. I I, I think I, I couldn't think be happier. They leave, I, I, neither can I. What what have we been rooting for all year? These are our favorite sports teams, and we got to go root for the home team. Unbelievable. All right, Nathan Hubbard. Every single album, new podcast premieres on Ringer Dish on Sunday night with Nora Princiati. Good to see you as always, my friend. Thanks, Bill. All right, we knew this guy on this podcast before he became even more famous. Eddie Wong is here. Uh, he made a movie. My feelings were hurt that he didn't reach out to tell me I need to come promote my movie. I started doing reads uh, on this podcast for the movie, and I'm like, I I got to get Eddie on. So I watched it last night. You made a sports movie. You didn't even fucking tell me. You went I'm, out. You made a whole sports movie. What the fuck? I will show you the receipts. This is the first choice pod I wanted to be on. I told Focus, and that's where the signals got crossed. Thank you for having me, Bill. This num- number one sports podcast in the world. I'm I'm more hurt that you made a sport a sports movie, and I wasn't even like, not even like a a text. Just be like, hey, give me give me like two thoughts for a basketball movie, and then you you didn't need me as it turned out because you you hit all the marks. But I, I'm I'm here because you know what? Honestly, this what inspired me is a Boston film, right? Mm, which one? So Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill mm. Hunting. That everyone's been asking me like, how'd you come up for the idea for this movie? Why'd you want to do it? And I've been telling them, I came up in a family with a lot of violence, like a lot of domestic violence in my family that I was not able to talk about. Um, I would never talk to the cops or social workers when they came. But my aunts, uncles, everybody knew what was going on in our house. And so I watched Goodwill Hunting with my aunt. And uh, that movie changed my life because I realized you could talk about these things. Mm. And I had nothing. I'd never been to Boston. I had nothing in common with Ben or Matt. But I fell in love with that film because I was like, damn, you can talk about these things. And even if you're super different, some kid in the middle of nowhere in Orlando can can relate to this and feel seen. And I decided that moment watching Goodwill Hunting, I'm gonna make a movie like this one day and and interview with the guy that writes page two. There's <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's more than a dash of above the rim. You grabbed a tiny yeah. piece. Yeah. A L- little bit of that. There's a little like finding Forrester type of, you know, the transfer stuff in there. I don't want to step on it too much because I want people to see it. But um the uh, the the Goodwill Hunting thing that makes sense to me, and the other thing is you're embedded into, you know, New York. Like sometimes yeah. people wade into, like, oh, make it a New York basketball movie, but there's maybe not the authenticity you were going for with this thing. Yeah, you really need New York to be an authentic character that hits all the grooves and all the corners. And I just feel um, New Yorkers will watch this and, and feel very seen, especially because it's in New York that has changed a lot pre-pandemic. You know, we finished shooting October 2019 and then boom, you know, here we are. So, you know, the obvious, the Jeremy Lin comparisons. <laughs> and you get you get it out of the way in the movie in 10 minutes. And I can step on this. I feel like you, the character kind of trashes Jeremy Lin. It's like, oh, okay. All right, yeah. this is what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to make it a, a thing, but like, I, you know, just because you're the same race as somebody doesn't mean you feel represented by him. You know, like when he was with the Knicks, I loved him. When he wasn't with the Knicks, I honestly couldn't care less. Yeah. You know, cause he's just, he's just very different than me. And I, I felt it was a good thing. Cause I know a lot of Asian basketball players. And after Linsanity, you go play basketball and everyone at the court is like, Hey Jeremy, Hey Jeremy. And so your name is just Jeremy. 
And like, whether you like Jeremy or not, that was a frustrating thing to be like, hey, yo, you, your name is now Jeremy. So right. it's more about the frustration of being like, if you're Asian and you play basketball, being defined by this guy that you have no connection to, that's just annoying, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of a sad reflection of Asians in basketball, right? That Jeremy Lin will probably be the go-to reference for, what do you think, till like 2025 to anyone who's playing pickup? I mean, I mean, unless Boogie tries out and, and makes a team, you know, I it's sequel. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think our, our lead, Taylor Takahashi, could play in the G League. You know, the G League's kind of tight right now. But right. he's a real ball player. He's an all-time leading scorer at Alameda High School. Yeah. So really, really ball. Yeah. I was not surprised that you took particular care in making sure that the actors actually knew how to play basketball. Because you're a legit sports fan. You know how important yeah. this stuff is. You can't do the you, the guy who can't really play and you have to cheat it and you do the quick quick cuts, all that stuff. You did not yeah. do that in this. Yeah, I mean, like we got some dribble handoffs and, and things like we yeah. were warriors at the top. And it was funny because, you know, the producer was like, do you need to play this combo? I'm like, dude, come on, man. It's, this is the way kids play basketball now. It's, at the at the top of the key and, and they're they're running off each other. Um, I want to talk about the basketball in a second. Back to the Jeremy Liv thing for one second. You, you I'm not, I don't feel like I'm spoiling this, but you tap into Michael Chang a little bit. Yes. Yes. And I don't want to give away the scene because it's great. But sure. I thought it was really interesting that you played it that way because um, you know, you and I are both friends with Chang. Yeah. I've been at some dinners where we've talked about you know, greatest Asian sports moments of all time with Chang and Yang and Chan Cho, all those guys. And the Chang one is the one that was the, the one that has slid through the cracks. Really? Where the seven, no, ju- no, no. Just like that. I think in history has kind of been forgotten how unbelievable that was. Cause he beats Lendl who was really the biggest villain out of any individual sport guy of that era, just cause he was so freaking boring to watch. He's got yeah. the cramps. It's like a sports movie. And they're watching it in the thing. And it made me actually, after the movie, go queue up the YouTube clip just to watch some of the points and stuff. And it's like, how did this happen? Why wasn't this actually a bigger deal than it was? It's amazing to watch. It's an incredible one. I've been trying to, I've been talking to the guys at 30 for 30 for two years now being like, yo, let me get the Chang doc because I, I'm a rabid Chang fan. Like I used to read about him in Sports Illustrated for kids. I'd be like, collected like African cichlid fish, you know, like he collected freshwater fish from Africa. He's just like an interesting dude. And the reason why that moment is so important to Asian Americans is the day before was Tiananmen Square. And that's what people forget is that, you know, if you were Asian and especially if you were Chinese in this country, that was probably our most shameful day. Like you really didn't want to go outside. And for months after you were just embarrassed and I, I remember all the way up until high school it was like funny to call us communists do you know what i mean like commie jokes were funny like in the late 80s early 90s i mean you got rocky four and like uh the the thing with tiananmen was that we aren't in this country necessarily by choice you know like especially my family's journey is we lost the civil war in china we had to flee to taiwan there's a lot of pride and that were kind of detached from our country and then had to live in Taiwan. We then grew to have pride in Taiwan, but we're still by blood Chinese. And then I was born in America. And when Tiananmen happened, it was like, man, will we ever get to go home? And will we ever be proud of our country and our culture and our history again? And 
I just remember how sad all of us were in the house. And I was only like five or six years old. Mm. But like the next day, we all sat and watched Chang. And he had no business beating Yvonne Lennon. He had no business even being. He's 17 years old. And watching him with the cramps, watching him serve underhanded, looking at how small he was, it was just like we are all like we're all Michael Chang. And he gave us something to be proud about. And and if I didn't have that moment as a kid, I don't know if I'm as proud to be a Chinese Taiwanese. Wow. Honestly. So like I, Also I, one of the great one of the great endings, I think, ever to a tennis match, if not number one, where yeah. Chang on the second serve moves up right to basically the, the, the bottom of the box just to fuck with Lendl and it works and Lendl double faults. It's unbelievable. It honestly is like a sports movie. It is. It's, it is, it, it would be the greatest sports movie because he's the biggest underdog and he doesn't win necessarily with the physics. He wins with his wit. Yeah. You know, and he, and the crowd him. and the crowd turns on Lendl and starts rooting for him and the whole thing. It's, it's, it'll never happen again. Um, I'm greenlighting the the Michael Chang doc. Let's do it, bro. I would love. No, to. I'm I'm not kidding. Let's let's really do it. We're yeah, making I history right now. This is the first doc I've ever agreed to do during a podcast. We're doing this. Thank you. I, I we got to do this. It's too it's too good. And also, it's in a very important time. And and I'll tell you something, Bill. Is like I've never been an American American evangelist. Like America number one. Like I love America, but I was like my issues with America. Yeah, and you're liberal too. We got our issues. But I spent the pandemic in Taiwan, 11 months, and living in a more monocultural society, even in one that I love and feels native to me, man, there ain't nothing like America. There's not an experiment going on in the world like this country where me and you can talk, I can meet Pop Smoke, we could do something together. Like the diversity is is what makes us strong, what makes us amazing. And like that's that's the story of Michael Chang. Do you know what I mean? Like anyone can do it here. Well, I love that you hit that part. You also, uh, the food, I wasn't surprised, but you nailed it. I checked I checked with uh, Chang just to make sure. I was like, Eddie nailed the food in this, right? He's like, yeah. oh yeah, he went deep a couple of times. Yeah. He mentioned a couple of things I didn't even really understand, but um, you, sp- you were able to sprinkle that stuff in. I mean, your favorite stuff is food and basketball. So you figured out how to, <laughs> how to pull everything together in a movie. Food, basketball, rap music, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, hey, it's a party. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I intentionally read nothing about this movie. Word. Um, Because I just wanted to watch it. I didn't want to be affected by anything. All I knew was the ad. Yeah. Um, well, I like to do it that way, too. I don't read reviews. The only time I'll read reviews is if I come out of a film and I'm like, whoa, that is a polarizing film. Now I'm curious what other people think, but usually I read, I maybe read two reviews a year. You know? Yeah. So I had done, they, you had a couple ads on the pod and it was like pop smokes in it. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm watching it and I'm like, wait, pop smokes though. They did like a little bit of the Tupac above the rim where like, he's going to be the villain in this. Like, holy yeah. shit. And, and he's really good. And of course this ends up being his last movie, but uh, man, it, it's, it's crazy that, I feel like he could have done this. Yeah, no, he he absolutely, he did it. And, you know, he would send me texts. We'd talk. He's like, yo, big dog, like Hollywood. We got to do that. You know, like he wanted acting. And this was a crazy thing. I had been talking to Columbia about remaking Last Dragon. And I was like, yo, you know who the best show enough would be? They're like, who? I was like, Pop Smoke. That's your show enough. You know, and unfortunately, he got taken from us 
far too soon. But, you know, I, I really want to celebrate him because, man, he's I've met a lot of talented people, you know, like, you know, I, like Tony Bourdain always comes to mind as probably one of the most talented people. Yeah. I've met. But like even Tony and if Tony met Papa, I swear he'd, he'd feel the same way. Pop is the most talented person I've met in my life. Wow. He would go record for six hours in a studio and then come shoot and do an overnight shoot and then do it again the next day. And even when we weren't shooting, he's just eating gummy bears, making up dances. And he's like, yo, big dog, check, check this out. Woo, you know, like he was doing all his dances. And he just had unstoppable energy, undeniable charisma, a real toughness. But under the toughness was like a real kind heart. And I'll, I'll never forget, we're standing on the sideline in between shots. And he really understood the script and the Boogie character. And he, <clears throat> he, he understood why Boogie acts the way he does. And he said to me, he said, yo, big dog, you know, uh, I was a good kid. I was like, you, you still a good kid, Pop? He's like, I, I used to get good grades. <laughs> right. That, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't not believe you, Pop. Like, I'm sure you were a good kid that got good grades. And he's like, you seen that, you seen that World Star video? And I was like, I have seen the World Star video. And the World Star video was when Pop was about 14 or 15. A group of kids circled him in the neighborhood and slapped him. And the video went viral and everyone was like, yo, that's that kid from the floss that got slapped and embarrassed. And that, that followed him. And he said to me, he said, I never wanted to be treated like that again. And that moment made me a monster. Mm. And we would talk about that for Boogie. And he would talk to Boogie about that. And he's like, you don't want to be picked on anymore. You know, like you want to fight back. And Pop like would really poke Boogie when we were shooting. And a lot of those lines we improv like in between scenes, we would just throw new insults at Taylor Takahashi and just try to get under his skin and get the performance out of him. But Pop was really my coach on the floor for the basketball scenes. Like he's, he's just phenomenal. It, it felt like Dwayne Wade rookie year with the Heat, you know? And he was, he used to play basketball, what, to like 15, 16? And then I remember vaguely in the stories yeah. about him way back when he had like some heart thing or something. He was a high school recruit. I don't know. How, I, he went to jail. I yeah. know he went to jail and that got in the way, but I don't know if it was a physical ailment. But um, he could really play ball. What kind of what kind of game did he have? What NBA player? Who's his comparison? You know what's funny? It's 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 uh, he's very much like UNLV LJ, Larry Johnson. Interesting. UNLV, yeah, with a jumper. You know, modern day, the, every kid got a little bit of a jumper, but he really reminded me of Larry Johnson. Huge shoulders, like Pop's back is huge. He he really had jail strength and. Uh, <clears throat> you know, he, he was just tough. Like I played him a few times, three on three in the post and you can't, you can't stop him. He's very much like Anthony Mason. Um, a Anthony Mason. How tall is he? He's about six feet, you know, but one of those strong deceiving six footer who's like yeah. plays bigger than that. Who was that other Iowa state kid that was real big up top, big shoulders ended up in the league. Marcus Pfizer. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, 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 like a little bit. Like his body was huge up top, you know? Eddie, I hope you enjoy your last three years of pickup basketball before your body completely falls apart at age 43 because that's how it's going to go. Trust me. <laughs> I, I lived not, it. Man. You have one last nice run, 39, 40, 41. It starts to kind of go sideways a tiny bit. 
Yeah. And then by 43, it's done. Unless you do like, you know, hyperbaric chamber, all that shit. Yeah. You might have to. I, Joe Rogan was telling me he's like sauna four times a week. If you sauna four times a week, it decreases the the potential of all diseases by 40%. I didn't know. What? And yeah, Dr. Joe Rogan. I, I, but I mean, Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan knows everything. Like all my vitamins is vitamins Joe told me to buy. You know, like Joe is, is insane. <laughs> One of the things I liked about the Pop Smoke character in this, because it's, it's, it's on the Tupac corner above the rim, a rapper, it's a villain, there's street yeah. ball, all that stuff. But above the rim is very cartoony as much as I love it. Yeah. It's, it's cartoony and Tupac's, his character in that is a cartoon villain. Yes. This, the, the character Pop Smoke plays in this, what's his name? Monk? Monk. Yeah. Much more grounded. Um, he's, he's pretty grounded. Yeah. He's a villain, but it all feels authentic. The, even the ways he tries to get under Boogie's skin is our normal ways somebody would it's not he's not doing anything crazy he doesn't have a razor blade in his mouth yeah and you know people want it in the process of development not the studio but the producer i work with at times wanted him to be more of a villain and more set up like that and i was like nah. man it's not it's not like that you know like this is just basketball it's just two guys going at each other and that's why it's so important at the end pop comes over and is like you know says his thing at the end of the at the movie to, to boogie you know did you feel the weight of the the vortex of Asian people in America who love basketball and rap, a hundred percent of them will see this movie, and basically you have to come through. Like they're almost gonna like not trust it. Be like, oh man, I hope this doesn't get fucked up. Did you? Could you feel that weight? I always, I always feel it, but I welcome it. Yeah, I welcome it. I'm like I'm that dude that's like, look, if my team needs sixty, I'm gonna go get sixty. And, and, you know, I, I felt the way about Fresh on the Boat. I, and it's funny. People thought I was like a real dick for saying this once. I was like, the only person to hold Jordan under 30 was Dean Smith. And I was like, that's what Fresh off the Boat was. You kept it <laughs> 30. And I was like, you should just give me the damn ball, man. Like, I'll go for 60. But that's that's just me. That's my personality. Like, I love pressure. I like fighting well, and boxing, you know. One of the things I like about you is you just are like, fuck this. I'm doing it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's yeah. like, oh, cool. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to make my own movie and get it funded and I'll write and direct it and I'll even be in it and it's going to come under budget and I'm just going to do it. Yeah, that's what I did. Deli I delivered it about um, 500,000 under budget. You know, I'm not surprised. I was guessing I you don't yeah. you don't seem to me like the type of person that's going to be 10 days late from shooting and a, a million point five over budget. You're just going to get it done because yeah. you were you're a chef. Yeah. Chefs can't fuck around. It's like, no. you gotta, whatever. Yeah. We don't have margins to mess around. And then also as an immigrant, it's just like, you come from a family that worked really hard. Like my family made money, but it was all through work in a restaurant. And we just, there's nothing extra. You got to save everything. You got to make it all work. And people say, this is the budget. That's, that's the budget, you know? Here. So if you had, if you'd sent me the script, you deliberately left me out of all of this, but had you sent it and and you say, give me one piece of advice. Here would, here would have been my piece of advice. You forgot to write in the cameo for a famous NBA player who shows up for a pickup game, something, because first of all, you get that guy and all these guys think they're actors anyway, right? Yeah. But then you get their social. Now they're tweeting it. Come see me and Boogie. 
And that, that I think, so when Boogie 2 happens, you've got to figure out how to work Boogie like Kyrie into it or one of those guys. Well, you know who I wanted was because this is before he got drafted was I wanted Zion because we Ooh. were shooting in 2019. I was like, yo, we need Zion for this film. I wanted Zion to play the Dennis Thompson character, right? Whoa. And I was like, that would have been spicy. Yeah. Spicy. But, uh, you know, or even if you had gone underground with like a little John Morant, something like that, like, yeah. oh wait, John Morant's and Boogie? What the hell? Yeah. So Boogie too, I think when, when we go to, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but when the natural ending for Boogie too, I, I think somebody's got to be in there. We, we when, need that. We need that. Or the kid in the G League right now, uh, Green, start J, J, his name starts with the J Green. Hey, Elena, who's the kid in the G League that's really popping right now? I had no, I had no idea there was a popular G leaguer. Yo, he's like I the, really got to bone up on my G league. Yeah, it, um, he he plays he plays for that team. I think Brian Shaw's coaching. He's really really good. Um, um, all right, so the movie comes out on Friday. Yeah, if you like sports movies and you like Eddie, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you're gonna really like this movie. But I thought it was I really liked what you did, and I, I thought it was it had the right level of quirks. It felt like you. Yeah. Um, you you had some hidden stuff in there that I thought was really smart. I don't want to say too much, but I would recommend it. Tell me what's going to happen with restaurants. Uh, well, I had to close Bauhaus this year because of uh, the pandemic, but it's not, I'm not sad. I got a 10 year run. I'm very, very grateful to all of our customers. And it's just, you know, I, I know I've been bouncing around between jobs, but directing film is where I wanted to be. Like this is ab- absolutely the the craft where I will I will cast down my butt. I'm gonna work on this. This this is this is what I want to do. So I'm just I'm just happy to be writing and making films and making television. Tell me what happens with restaurants as a whole. You know, I'm kind of because you. By the way, you talked about you with Chang. When did you guys do that? Like in April or May on his podcast? Like what's yeah. What's going to yeah. happen going forward now? It's been nine months. Like, where are we right now with restaurants? Yeah. The, the thing with restaurants right now is that I'm really disappointed also about like what's going on with the debate over the coronavirus bill. You know, like I thought we had the majorities that we needed to push things through that we all fought for. And I'm like, yo, let's go. You know, but I really think there needs to be a restaurant relief bill. Mm. And because restaurants to me are, they're, libraries or their museums and these these are the things in our communities that are charged with distributing culture you know like you don't have to read a book you don't have to watch a movie but if you go eat in an ethiopian restaurant or a lebanese restaurant or korean restaurant your kid is going to learn about that culture not just through the food but in the way you're served the way they treat you the way they talk like that's how i got to know a lot of people and that's how i felt i got to travel around the world is going to different restaurants but all of these mom and pops, all these small restaurants are closing. And that's like, that's like our neighborhood mothers, you know? And like, without them, I don't know how we're going to get this culture. And I think it's really an issue we need to like, think about. Yeah. It's the one-on-one restaurants that are just seem to be falling by the wayside left and right. And in LA where we had this. It's like franchises, you know, they get big money because they know how to apply for it. But man, we got like the little ones in LA. LA, before all this happened, I thought the LA food food scene was the all-time most exceptional. I just couldn't even believe I lived there and how many amazing one-off restaurants there were. 
you yeah. know, and, and obviously talked about it here on this pod a bunch of times and on Chang's pod and stuff like that. But it really felt like it was the epicenter of the food universe here into New York and a lesser extent. But man. Yeah, um, I've been saying it since about 2017. I was like, the best food cities in the world are LA and Toronto. You know? Yeah. They're really the best. And uh, people would think I was crazy because they don't sound exotic. But I'm like, yo, they have the the biggest immigrant populations and then spread out in kind of an urban sprawl away. Would you tell somebody to be a chef now? Like somebody who's like 20 years old who is great at it and wants to open a restaurant, put the 10 years in like you did. Would you even, would you talk them out of it or would you tell them to do it? That's a really good question. Uh, and I will give you a, a, the most honest answer. It depends on what other skills that kid has. Uh, if you have something else that you're really good at and you can tell your story and feels in your voice, I don't think there's a harder job than opening a restaurant. And I'll tell you a, a funny story. I was, I was definitely nervous about being a director. Like I sold it in and I fought for it. But then once you get it, you're like, fuck, now I got to do this. Right. And, I, and uh, a, a DP that I interviewed for the job, Sam Levy, ultimately we hired Brett Yukowicz, who was the choice and I love him. But Sam Levy said something very interesting to me. He said, I live next door to Bauhaus when you opened it with your brother. And you don't remember me, but I used to come in and I watched. You guys work seven days a week. 16 hours a day, back to back with your brother. And he goes, there's going to be a lot of people in Hollywood and on this production. They're going to tell you, you don't know this and you don't know that. And that's why you're going to need me. He said, don't trust a single one of those people. Because mm. you know everything you need to know. And I saw you do it. And there is no way this is going to be harder than opening that restaurant. And I was like, you're crazy. He's like, no, I'm not crazy. You'll see. And he was right. He was right, you know, because on, on a movie set, yeah, it's hard. And it's hard mental work and psychological working in a team. But you got a driver that picks you up in the morning with a green juice and drives you back at home with a box of food. And you got an assistant. You got things like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but you physically can do this. The restaurant, it's not just the mental and the financial stress, but it's the physical on your feet, 16 hours. So, Well, and then it, getting up the next day and having to do it again. And there's no... Yeah. You know, it's like being a professional baseball player across with a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, it's there. I've never met a restaurant owner that wants their kid to be a restaurant owner too. I'm, I have a feeling every restaurant owner gives their kid the same speech Vito Corleone gave Michael Corleone. I never go, wanted yes, this man. for you. Yeah. Go be a judge, you know, you know, honorable Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that's it. You're never cooking anything again. You're not even making mac and cheese. No, I, I, just, I cook just, at home. Just po your Postmates and caviar. That's it. You know, you know, the date, 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 <laughs> dating, you know, I don't get, I, I'm not going to get by dating and not cooking. Do you know what I mean? Like when, Good they, point. Know, when they know you got that in the bag, like, like, yo, if you don't cook, then you don't like me. So I got to cook. But yeah, that's true. That is part of your arsenal. What's, what's yeah. your number one dish right now? My number one dish is, uh, you know, I really like to make a Hainan chicken, right? Oh. Hainan chicken is really nice because I do a very good chicken rice where I toast the rice uh, with chicken schmaltz and then I cook it with chicken stock and then I put the chicken on top. It's very nice. It's a famous Singaporean dish. So that's always a go-to. I make a really nice ceviche, so that that's good too. But then I make a good Sunday gravy and... Uh, those are all all dishes that I like to bust out every once in a while. How much MBA? When you were, how long were you in Taiwan? Like uh, 
Uh, uh, 11 uh, months? Yeah, 11 months. I woke up every day, 7 a.m. to watch basketball. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I kind of, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I now remember bubble basketball fondly. I really did. I really I do look back. I'm like, man, that was really fun. It was amazing. Like, I don't think it was fun for the players. It, the pandemic, not fun at all. But I just look back at the quality of some of those games. I'm like, man, I really kind of enjoyed that. But I can't lie. I loved like J.R. Smith posting the food that he had to eat. Like, yo, bro, what is this? I'm like, dude, you, you may be in the bubble for 10 days. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of lot of comedy coming out of the uh, bubble. How are you feeling about the Knicks? I've, I've, I'm so happy. I mean, you I gotta watch, be. Yeah, you, you know, on the West Coast, the best thing is you watch three games a night. You know, when you're growing up on the East Coast, when you have like a triple header, you're like, this is the greatest day of the year. I got a triple header on NBC Saturday. Now every night is a triple header, like four o'clock, seven o'clock. You know, I, I got, I got games coming out my ears. But like the Knicks, we're back, Bill. The Knicks are back. We're playing bully ball. We're rotating on defense, help defense. You know, we don't even shoot three pointers. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, they. Uh, I'm amazed how they pulled it off. They went for specific types of guys, um, half of whom seemed to go to Kentucky, but I think they knew from their Kentucky connections, like Kentucky recruits certain types of guys. Yeah, and they just tried to all put them together with a coach who's like a roll up your sleeves, hardworking coach and the guys all kind of make sense together. It's, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's, it's kind of a shame they don't have a crowd. Cause I feel yeah. like the MSG crowd would have loved this team. Going crazy. This is, this is an amazing team that you want to love. It reminds me of that Jamal Crawford, David Lee, Nate yeah. Robinson team, Trevor Reza, like junkyard, Ronaldo Balkman. You know, like we, like we got so excited about that team, even though we were really going really fast to nowhere. We love that squad. But um, this, this team, it's like, if you came to somebody with an idea though, and said, like what you just said, Hey, we're going to get as many Kentucky players as we can get. And then we're going to hire Tibbs and teach them to play the best defense possible. You're like, that makes sense. Cause Cal ain't teaching them to play defense. Cal's rolling the ball out and just like run. Right. Well, they, they tapped into whatever with Randall that I had given up on as. Yeah. As I just thought he was a black hole who's going to get his stats, but your team's never better. And now he's a complete player. Yeah, I thought I thought that uh, Julius Randall was basically going to be like a shittier Zach Randolph. But yeah, I did see him at summer league with the diplomats T-shirt last year, and I was like, "There's a bad man in him. We just have to bring this out." And who knew he was the EBT Joker? You know, this, this guy is the broke man's Nikola Jokic. And then they got uh, Robinson got hurt, but I liked what they were doing with him, where he was always like talent head case. Yeah. But they were able to get the town part. And then quickly, I, I think is a legit I, keeper. He's yeah. one of my favorite guys in that draft. And I, I think he's somebody that really would have fed off the uh, crowd if there was one. Because yeah. that dude just plays hard. I really like him. Quickly is so funny, too. Because he has that funny, like, flat-footed Gilbert Arenas jumper. Mm. But it goes in. And he does that thing Gilbert loved to do. Just shoot from five feet behind the arc for no reason. Like Curry does it because the defense extends. Hibachi was just like, I'm going to just shoot from here because I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly's the same way. He just stays out there. I love Quickly. And, you know, it's, it, let me ask you, I, I want your opinion on this. Okay. If you're the Knicks and you redraft, 
Ty, like I wanted Tyrese Halliburton originally, but do you take Tyrese Halliburton or you take Obi Toppin? I I loved Halliburton. He yeah. was my second guy in the draft. I personally would love to have Halliburton and quickly on the same team because I think they would play really well together. So that would have been my preference. Yeah, I, I still would go Halliburton. But there's something about Obi Toppin where I'm like, this wasn't a wasted pick. This isn't Frank Nilich. I agree. No, I agree with you because especially if he can turn into like a 38 point or 38% three-point shooter. If he could just be good, not, not even great, but good combined with the inside-outside stuff. There's something there. The the thing though is, I think if they knew Randall was going to do this, you, you kind of wouldn't have needed Toppin, right? You would have just yeah. taken Halliburton. We have a logjam now, and that's the issue. And, and people I remember were talking trading Randall early in the season, and I really thought about it. But now I'm like, no, this guy is a legit number two guy on a squad. We need a bad man number one, like a Bradley Beal, something like that. And then quickly is a great. I think he's going to develop into a number three. RJ, I think, is the problem. And I love him because he's a nice guy, you know, and, and he plays really hard on defense. Um, he started to hit some threes recently, but RJ is a black hole going to the hoop. He cannot yeah. be over the double team. And I I don't know if Tibbs is talking to him about this, but I'm just like, he never realizes Nerlens Noel is just waiting under the other side of the hoop every single time. He, by, by the way, did that at Duke too. I still like him. I, I'm still buying everybody's RJ stock because I think he's going to put in the work. What I think, think he will will himself into being a really good player. What's a good comp for RJ, you feel? It's tough. It's because it's for what you said. He's he's not good at creating shots for other guys. Yeah. Whereas like you look at somebody like you would say, could he be, this is a weird comparison. Could They're nothing alike. But let's say, could he be like Manu? Could be a six man off the bench who creates offense, can get his own shot, southpaw and all that. But Manu is such a good playmaker. Like he could create shots for other guys. And that's what I haven't seen from RJ yet. I feel like, like what you said, he's, he's, he's not a black hole, but when he's going to the basket, he's thinking about him Yeah. versus I'm going to pull this guy over and then I'm going to find this guy in the corner. Like he's thinking about his own shot. Yeah. Like um, I think low end worst case, he's an aggressive Evan Turner you know, which is, Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. I like that. He's like an aggressive Evan Turner. And unfortunately I, I don't love that. And then top end, I'm like, I mean, maybe he can kind of be like Danny Granger or something like that, but like it would require a, a wet three point shot and, and just an ability to see at least the first pass, not even the second pass. I don't even need you to see the corner or the, or the wing, but just the pass in front of you, you know, cause he's not seeing that. Well, you're in good shape. And I think Randall has to be kept. Mm -hmm. I think your your keepers ultimately are Randall and quickly and, and Robinson and then RJ's three and a half right now. Yeah. And then and I do like a big man rotation of top in Robinson Randall. I think that that'll work and and we can work with that again for next year. And then if top in really starts to develop, then you have a, you know, you have a James Harden situation on your hands in New York. Very possibly. <laughs> uh it could happen. I <laughs> thought they could have tried to get James. I don't know why the Knicks weren't in that. Yeah. Why I mean, not? I think it's just that James, he didn't want to play for the Knicks. He's going to play for the other team. I know, but kick the tires. Get the fans excited. I will yeah. say they've done an amazing job of not saying anything to anybody. When you yeah. think like this is the biggest, the biggest franchise in the biggest city, 
And their guy who's running it, Leanne Rose, has given one interview in like a year. Nobody knows yeah. what he's thinking. He doesn't leak stuff to people. He's yep. not interested in doing anything other than just quietly running the team and then having all the contacts with everybody else, which I think it's impressive he pulled it off. I didn't know somebody could run the Knicks and disappear like this. Yeah, I love it. And he feels very old school and just very like, I don't care what anyone thinks. It's about winning. And it's a very like New York mentality. And you got Tibbs is just such a bully. Like he he's he's very much kind of like a Joe Torrey of the NBA. You know what I mean? He's just like runs his guys in the ground. I love it. I was hoping that they would say fuck it and trade for a piece and try to get like the four or five seed, like actually make like a run at this, you know? And I, I don't, sure. I guess the question is who's the piece? And I think it's a swing. I yeah. think it's like a three, kind of a two, three hybrid who could create his own shot and play D. And I don't really know who that player is so because none I, of those guys are available except Beal. Can I pitch two ideas? Yeah. Let's hear. Two ideas. I feel RJ to the Kings for Buddy Heald. Well, I, I would send RJ and the Knicks pick for Buddy Heald and their pick this year. Oh, like a pick swap? Yeah. But so you're going to have poor RJ playing with De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton? I mean, they're just going to throw the ball out of bounds. It'll be incredible. <laughs> All right, what's your <laughs> other idea? I'm vetoing that one. And, and the other one would be RJ to the Hornets for Terry Rozier. Interesting. Yeah. So if I'm the Hornets, Rogier's 20 points a game this year. I actually really like Rogier this year. I do, but you have LaMelo. I mean, they can play together. LaMelo and him can play together. I mean, they're, they're pretty good with LaMelo, Rogier, and Gordon Hayward, and PJ Washington, Miles Bridge. That, that's like a nice team, but I'm like- That's my favorite league pass team. How dare you try to break them up? But I would kick the tires to see how, you know, if they're stupid, you know, like- Will they move Terry Rozier for R.J. Barrett? You know, because you may sell him one. Let me throw this one at you. Yeah. Because you have some cap space, too. You guys can work some shenanigans yeah. with these trades. What about a deal that the centerpieces are R.J. Barrett and Kyle Lowry? So that would absolutely make us the 4-5 seed, right? We, we, In Toronto, R.J., we, Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. Spicy. Spicy but one, right? Very spicy, but I feel like Lowry, Lowry may be one of those guys like Andre Miller that could just play forever. And he kind of, he's- I think he is. I I do think he could be exactly who he is right now for like three more years. I think Chris Paul's kind of like that too, right? Chris Paul's like 45 years old at this point, still chugging along. I do think Kyle Lowry, the watching play, he has three more years and he plays smart and he's strong and he's got a three-point shot. So I think he can last, but I feel- well, like also, you left out this part. That was the big Knicks what if, right? Where they almost had the Lowry trade and then it turned into Bargnani, which turned into them okay. eventually losing an awesome pick. Remember that whole uh, sliding doors? The worst not even trade. not even a top 10 worst Knicks moment of the 21st century, but where uh, it was like Dore was Kyle Lowry, Dore B was Andre Bargnani and a pick. Yeah, that was terrible. Man. I mean, fun. we would be good. We would have been, I mean, Lowry LaMelo would have been nice. It's a sneaky what if, because then Toronto doesn't win the title. They don't have enough. With They don't trade for Kawhi Leonard. Who gets Kawhi Leonard? There's yeah. a lot of sliding doors. All right, so your movie's coming out. Um, you're doing a ton of press, but I I knew I would be able to get uh, the A, the A-list version of, of Eddie on a podcast. So I, was, I wasn't worried. My favorite. You guys um, all the smoke. I really like a lot, man. The oh, best. I appreciate That's that. Cool. Um, 
let me know. Let me know next time you want to come on. Let me know when you're in LA. Um, best of luck with the movie. Check it out. It's called Boogie. Did it, was there any sort of, did you have to check with DeMarcus or no? No, no, not, okay. not at all. Cause you know, guys at the court always be, Oh, he boogied on him, you know? So that's kind of, okay, good. I, I was fine with it. Um, yeah. So it's out, check it out on demand. Uh, no theater premiere though, right? Uh, or- we're premiering at a drive-in tonight in Vineland. Oh, in, that's fun. In, uh, Industry city, you know, true detective season two, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then it's in theaters tomorrow everywhere. Okay. Good luck. I'm proud of you. You made a sports movie. This is awesome. Way to go. We'll make the Chang Doc next, man. This yep. is awesome. That's it. People heard. We have witnesses. Yeah. You got to do that with me. All right. I'll talk to you. Later. All right. That's it for the podcast. We will be back on Sunday night, probably um, after the All-Star game, which God only knows how that's going to be. But uh, we will see you on Sunday night. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. See you Sunday.